couple of things I want to share with you before the message this morning. I was sharing on Wednesday night with the folks, so I want to share with you. November the 17th, 2017 will be a momentous day in our church's history. Because at 10 a.m. on Friday, I went downtown and signed the papers for the loan from the bank. Yeah. And we praise God for opening up that door to us. And now we can move ahead with getting all of the subcontractors signed and begin to break ground early next year. I also want to take the opportunity because uh, of all the countless hours that Scott put in. Scott Beatty, we need to show him our appreciation. Thank you, Scott. Scott, one of our elders, put in so many hours to make this possible in working with KS Bank and uh, just appreciate all of his efforts. And we're just beyond excited, I guess would be the, uh, the words of, of where we're headed. So we'll obviously keep you informed. We have our renderings back there, and certainly we're continuing to, to ask God to lay it on the hearts of people to give towards this project. Because even though we've got the loan, we've got to keep this ministry going here and moving forward and have other costs involved. So we would just ask you to just ask the Lord, what would your part be in this uh, new great adventure that God has for us as a church? And then many of you may have noticed on your way in that beautiful table that's been set up by some of our ladies here at the church. This Christmas, we're going to be helping the children uh, of Mexicali in Pastor Olachea's church down there. And uh, we're going to be helping them with food items and clothing items and all of that. And so we just ask you for the next couple weeks to go by that table out there and uh, see what part you could play in helping make a child's Christmas really special down there in Mexicali and blessing that church once again that we have a relationship with through uh, Pastor Olachea. And uh, we're going to try to get uh, him to come up at some point and uh, receive those gifts from us, and we're trying to work that all out as well. All right. Today we are back in the book of Jude, which is the book right before the book of Revelation. So it's pretty easy to find, even though it's only one chapter, 25 verses. Uh, it is right before the book of Revelation. Last week we were talking about our identity. What is a Christian? And we looked at the first two verses of Jude. Today we're going to look at just verses 3 and four. Before we look at those verses this morning, let me just share them with you. Jude starts out by saying, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I now feel compelled instead to write to you to encourage you to contend earnestly for the faith the faith that was once for all entrusted to us, the saints of God. For certain men, and by the way, that word is generic. It could also mean women. 
For certain men have secretly slipped in among you. Men who long ago were marked out for the condemnation I am about to describe. Ungodly men who have turned the grace of our God into a license for evil and who even have now denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you think of yourself as a theologian? Probably most Christians don't view themselves that way. But according to Jude and other passages of Scripture, every Christian should consider themselves and carry the responsibility of being a theologian. Because you'll notice that this passage and the concern now that Jude has here is directed to the entire church. It's not just a responsibility laid upon the pastor or the elders or anyone else. It's laid upon everybody. Dear friends, we have a problem. There's only two kinds of theologians, by the way. Good ones and bad ones. (laughs) And Jude wants to remind us that it is all of our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to keep the faith. The truth matters. Now, that's foreign, though, in our world today. In fact, for most people who are sitting here this morning, you and I are not ever living in a world now, and many are not even old enough to say they lived in a world where the majority of people in the world believed in absolute truth. But God says... Oh no, there's absolute truth. And it is a truth that matters. It is a truth worth knowing and worth caring about and worth defending and protecting and making sure that we pass it on intact to the next generations to come. So whether we like it or not, or whether we know it or not, God holds each of us as a Christian responsible for being, in a sense, a good theologian. To know what we believe and why we believe it. To care about it. To protect it. And to pass it on. So let's look at these verses this morning. The first thing Jude says in verse 3 is, Dear friends, it's the word we talked about last week. It's a word that could also be translated beloved or divinely loved ones. He's reminding us that not only does God greatly love them, but that he, Jude, loves them too. And that what he's about to tell them is because he loves them. Sometimes that's what love does. It tells us what we need to hear, not always what we want to hear. And this whole idea of knowing that we are loved is very important to Jude. Remember, Jude too was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. He grew up in the same home with Joseph and Mary and the other siblings of Jesus. That's why in the first couple verses of Jude, he talks to us about knowing that we are wrapped up in the love of God the Father. And then he prays in verse 2 that the love of God may be lavished upon us. And then two other times in this short letter, he also uses the term dear friends or beloved ones in verse 17 and in verse 20. 
So that's where he starts out. And then he says this, he says, Dear friends, those whom I love, I was eager to write to you about our common salvation. Let me talk for a moment about the word eager. It's the idea that here's this Christian who loves and cares enough about other Christians that he or she wants to take the time and the effort and the energy to seek to build them up and to encourage them and to support them. He's eager to do it. So the question we have to ask then, as we look at those words, are, are, am I as eager to build up and encourage and support other Christians with what I say, with what I'm writing, as Jude is? Is that how we live our lives? That we wake up and go, I'm eager to encourage another brother or sister in Christ today. And what can I do or say to do it? And then Jude says, my subject was going to be on our common salvation. Not that the word common means ordinary, because you and I know if we are saved, our salvation is anything but common or ordinary. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, we have such a great salvation But what he's saying is that there's a bond. Whether we, again, are conscious of it or not, there's a bond that exists between every Christian. Because there are certain things that we have in common with each other. Yes, there's diversity. We all have different gifts and talents and abilities, but we all have certain things in common. And let me just mention a couple here that Jude does in his own letter. We all have the same Heavenly Father. We all have the same Savior and High Priest, Jesus Christ. And we all have the same Holy Spirit of God indwelling and living within us. So that's what Jude's great topic was going to be on. And he was so excited to share the thoughts about our common salvation and what binds us together. But Jude said, I now feel compelled instead to go in a different direction. And that's an important statement, too, because what it is saying to us is this. That this man, Jude, was even here being open to the leading and guiding of God's Spirit that lived within him. Because the words that he is using is simply revealing to us that once God revealed his priority to Jude, through the influence of the Holy Spirit in him, he changed direction. That's something God wants in all of our lives. That we can set out and go, God, I think you want me going here, doing this, or writing this. But God, I'm going to be always open to the influence of your Holy Spirit. That's it. That's the bottom line. That's what's going to guide me, is your Holy Spirit. And if your Holy Spirit begins to direct me in another direction, I'm gone. Because that's your priority. That's why you placed your Holy Spirit in me. So that, you know, as I begin to go this way, I can start to sense, no, God wants me to go that way. And be okay with it. Again, it's okay to have a plan in our life. Jude did. I was going to write you about our great common salvation, but now I feel compelled. compelled. Compelled by what? Compelled by the indwelling Holy Spirit. And obviously, this is something that I'm very sensitive to right now because I've already begun studying on this six-month series coming up next year on the Holy Spirit. And it's just another reminder of how instrumental and essential the ministry of the Holy Spirit is in our lives. And then he says this, 
I was compelled instead to write to encourage you to contend earnestly for the faith. Let's stop there. Let's talk for a moment about the faith. He's not talking here about that subjective trust, meaning faith as in, I believe, I trust, I have confidence in God. Notice the definite article before faith, the faith. And anytime you see that in the Bible, it's not talking about the act of trusting God, placing our faith in God. It's talking about the body of truth that God has deposited into our hands and placed into our hands as his people. Simplify it. The Bible. The Word of God. He says, you and I as Christians, we have to be willing to contend earnestly for this truth. We have to acknowledge that truth, absolute truth, exists. And if it exists, then I better know it I better understand it. I better continue to grasp it through the Holy Spirit. I better live it. I better protect it and guard it because it is also going to be each of our responsibility to make sure that we are passing it on intact and correctly and accurately to others. That's why God holds all of our, us responsible for being a good theologian. Because there are many people, many people, that you all as Christians will come in contact with that I or another elder or another pastor or teacher or anyone else will never come in contact with. So their soul may be understanding or one of their, you know, places where they're going to gain understanding into God and His Word isn't going to come from me. It's going to come from you or someone else. And so that's why we better know the truth. And we also better contend earnestly for it. What's it mean to contend earnestly for the faith? It means to enter the struggle for truth. To, re to remind ourselves, in the world in which we live, there will always be a struggle for truth. And then it's almost like not only enter the struggle for truth, but be willing to fight for the truth with everything you've got. That's what it means to contend earnestly. Picture someone going into the arena or the Colosseum in Rome and basically being faced with a great enemy and having to give it everything they've got to get out alive. Jude is painting that kind of picture for Christians. He's saying, are we willing to fight like that for the truth. There are certain things, Jude says, it is worth fighting for. And one of them is the truth of God. This faith. Then he goes on to say that God has entrusted to the saints at the end of verse 3. See, Jude is saying to us, do we recognize this sacred trust that God has placed into the hands of every one of us as Christians. It's important. Very important. In fact, thinking about the importance of the truth of God and God's Word, let me share a couple other 
passages or verses with you. In Matthew 5.18, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, not the smallest letter or even stroke of a letter will pass away until everything has been accomplished. Wow. That's where that jot and tittle comes from in the King James translation. A jot is simply the smallest form of the Hebrew alphabet, and the tittle is literally like almost like a way to differentiate one letter from another. Very like tiny accent punctuation marks. And Jesus says, not even the tiniest marking of my word will not go unfulfilled. Then he goes on later to say, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And then in the book of Revelation, John writes in the very last few verses of the Bible, like the last thing that God wants to get across to human beings, here's what God says. Very last book of the Bible, some of the very last verses of the Bible. If someone adds to my word, I will add to them the plagues described in this book. And if someone takes away from my word, I will take away their part in the tree of life. God says, don't mess with my word. It's important. And it needs to be upheld. Well, Jude in verse 3 is saying, Christian, do you know you're a theologian? Do you know you need to be a good one? One that spends your life absorbing the truth, immersed in the truth, gaining more and more of the truth. So that we can live the truth and pass the truth on accurately and correctly to others. Because in verse 4, he begins to describe the threat involved. And before we get to that, I want to say this as well. What I'm talking about today literally affects every facet of church ministry, including our worship. It's not just about the ministry of the Word and making sure that pastors or anyone else that teaches, say, here at the Oasis, make sure that we are rightly dividing the Word of truth. It also affects our worship. Did not Jesus say that the Father is looking for true worshipers? Those who will worship Him in spirit and what? Truth. See, to God, it's very important. And that's why we are blessed here at the Oasis that we have a worship leader, Nicole, who not only is very passionate about leading us to worship God in spirit, but also in truth. To make sure that the songs that we are singing And the lyrics that we are singing line up with the Word of God correctly. 
And the reason I say that is because there are so many pastors today, so many church ministries today, so many worship leaders today who are more concerned about wowing the audience with their human skills and abilities and about entertaining people than they are connecting people to God through his truth. We are blessed. Because the threat is real whether we realize it or not. And even 2,000 years ago, all the way back to Jesus' time, here's what Jude said. Jesus hasn't been off planet Earth that long, and yet Jude says there are certain men, again, or women, who have secretly slipped in among you. Let's talk about that for a minute. First, the words secretly slipped in. We can identify more with that now than probably they could even in the ancient times because it's, it's a description of being stealthy. And we all know now about stealth technology. I can remember years ago, years ago, when we lived back in Maryland, where we're from, Lisa and I, <clears throat> we would always take our youth group every year down to Andrews Air Force Base to the armed services air show down there every year. Our kids loved it. Even though you knew every year you were going to come back with several teenagers who got terribly sunburned. Because we're all out there on that tarmac. There's no shade out there. And unless you're, and of course, you, who's one of the ones that would get sunburned? But anyway, it, it was great. It, they not only had the Thunderbirds and the Blue Angels and all these, you know, other great things, but they would have the, you know... They would have the stealth bomber and the stealth fighter out there. that You couldn't touch it, but you could get pretty close to it. And it was fascinating how, you know, man, through obviously the wisdom that God has given, has been able to make something that on radar appears as if it's invisible. It's not there. Undetectable. And Jude is saying that's part of why this threat is so bad. Because they won't come into any church announcing themselves at the front door going, "Uh, Pastor Jeff and elders and worship leader and and children's director and all the rest of you, women's leader, men's leader. I'm a false teacher. I'm here to spread some false teaching. Welcome me. No. I'm living untruth and I, I, I have all this, this bad, you know, doctrine in my life and in my head and I'm just gonna come into your church and I'm just gonna start spreading all this diseased doctrine in your midst. And I'm gonna cause lots of problems. Nobody does that. Cause that's not the way Satan works. It is, I'm going to secretly try to infiltrate every church, every local church, every body and community of believers, and I'm going to just drop in people every so often, and when they come, they're going to come with one agenda, and that is to promote their own agenda, not God's agenda. And their primary, you know, thing is, is they are, they are filled in their life with all this, again, bad, diseased doctrine that does not line up with God's truth. And then churches and ministries begin to allow these people because it is their aim. I'm going to get a platform. I'm going to teach somewhere. I'm going to have a home group. I'm going to have a home Bible study. I'm going to get in here and I'm going to start sharing with these poor people who don't know what I know about God. And and many, many times they are so off base. And then a few people in that church begin to follow this false teaching. And all of a sudden it's not just a few anymore. Now it's more and more. And it starts to just spread through the entire church. 
Because Jude says, the battle for this truth of God does not exist between us and outside the church. Because God does not expect us to fight that battle. We know that those outside the church hold to what is false. And God doesn't tell us as Christians or the church, you fight the world and all of that untruth out there. That's not our primary focus. Now, I'm not saying we don't share the truth with them. And I'm not saying we don't defend it. But that's not primarily our battleground. No, our battleground actually exists within our own fellowship. Why? Because, notice, they have come in, don't miss this, among us. Therefore, God holds me and every one of us responsible to make sure that at the Oasis Church, that the purity of biblical doctrine stays strong. Because Satan would like nothing better than to start sprinkling through any church those who teach falsehood rather than the truth of God. And my friends, it happens and is happening. Look at, look at so many churches even just in our area who have compromised and abandoned the truth of God Maybe to get a few more people into the seats. So they stop teaching the truth. They stop worshiping according to truth. They stop doing ministry according to the word of God. And they accommodate themselves to what the people like. So that they can get more people to come. We see it all around us. And it started with just a few people. And then started to spread. And then as even some Christians who were there maybe were uncomfortable about the direction, a lot of times they didn't have the courage or even didn't have the platform to stand up to it. So they had to make a decision at that point. Do I stay and fight for my own church or do I just leave and go and try to find someplace else? Which is why many of you are where you're at today. For Jude says this. These men or women were marked out long ago for the condemnation I am about to describe. He's saying, look, God spoke way before this all happened that anyone who betrayed his truth would face his judgment. And we're going to talk about that next week. The contradiction of ungodliness. See, God is saying, you can betray my truth, but you will pay a price for it. Because not only do you blow up your life when you check out truth and jettison truth from your life, but you negatively affect so many other people around you when you're not willing to embrace my truth. And then he says this. He says these men or women are ungodly because they have turned the grace of our God into a license for evil. They disrespect God by not honoring what God deems as sacred. What does God deem as sacred? His truth. His word. He said, I will honor my word above my own name. Jesus, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. 
In fact, what they do is they tamper with and they twist the word of God to accommodate their own agendas and lifestyles. That's what people do. Well, here's what the word of God says, but somehow I've got to, because that doesn't line up with who I am or my own agenda or what I want to be. So I start to tamper and twist the word of God to make it fit what I want. Instead of me submitting to the authority of the truth of God and placing myself under submission to God's word, I end up tinkering with it, tampering with it, and twist it so that it can make me feel good about where I'm at and what I'm doing. And Jude goes on to say, in doing that, they even deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. It means they contradict even the teaching of Jesus himself. Who is, by the way, let's be reminded, the what? The truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. The truth of God is embodied in Jesus Christ. So when you and I reject the truth, we're not only rejecting the Bible, we're rejecting Jesus Christ himself. The very truth of God. Why is this so important? Why has Jude been led by the Holy Spirit to go in this direction with the people that he's writing to? Why is he so passionate about it? Why is the Holy Spirit directing him this way? Why did God make sure that this message was the one main heart of this letter right before the book of Revelation? Written by one of Jesus' own brothers? I think for this very reason. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says this to his followers. Please listen. You can look it up, read it, study it later. Here's what Jesus said. He looked at those that were following him. He says, if you continue in my teaching, then you will be my disciples indeed. And then you will know the truth. And then you know the rest of it. And the truth will what? Set you free. See, the reason why God is so passionate about the truth is because God understands and hopefully we as his followers understand that it is only through the truth of God that we can experience real freedom. And that's what God wants to see. He wants to see people who are being set free. But if we ignore the truth, if we reject the truth, If we marginalize his truth and say, truth divides. Doctrine's not that important. All we need to do as Christians is just come together and just sing and just love everybody. Truth isn't important anymore in our churches. And yet God says it is the only path to being free. Which is why so many Christians are not experiencing the kind of freedom that they could be. Because truth is no longer important in their life. And they don't view themselves, as Jude says, like a theologian. That it is all of our responsibility to make sure that we know the truth, 
care about the truth, protect the truth, and pass it on intact to others. Jesus said, if you continue in my teaching, then you're my disciples. And then you will know the truth. And then you will be set free. Could we stand? As our worship team comes, today is Communion Sunday. And many of you might say, what in the world did that message have to do with remembering what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary? I think it has everything to do with it. Because he's the truth. And even in what he did for us and why he did it, it's all based upon the truth of God. If I don't believe and acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior and what Jesus, my Savior, did for me, then it really has no impact on me. And by the way, as I do every time we have communion, I like to focus on a little bit of a different angle. So today, as you and I go up and partake of those elements and come back to our seat and get settled until all of us can partake together after our last song is over, I want it to be a commitment from each of us surrounding John 8, 31, 32. That as we go up there, we are going up there saying to Jesus, Jesus, I want to continue in your teaching. I don't want to just be here at communion today just acknowledging what you did and remembering what you did for me on Calvary. I want to continue in your teaching. I want to remain being your disciple because I want to know you and your truth so well that I can be set free. Set me free, Jesus, today. Because that's why Jesus died. Not just to have our sins forgiven, but to set us free. One other thing. God reminded me this week that love, His love into our lives, and sometimes, many times, other people's love into our lives and our love into their lives isn't wrapped up in nice, neat little packages with bows and, and ribbon. Sometimes love is presented to us in what we would call maybe strange ways. And when you think about what Jesus did for us, that is certainly the case. His love came to us sweaty and bloody. His love came to us with a crown of thorns and a beard that was plucked out. His love came to us with nails driven through His hands and feet. His love was demonstrated to us through a cross. His love was demonstrated to us in a back that had been ripped up by being scourged by Roman soldiers. That's how His love came to us. Not the way we might think sometimes. But that's how God's love was demonstrated. And so as we go up there today, how could we do any less than say, Jesus, after you have poured out your life and love for me, I not only want to know you, I want to continue in your teaching. I want to remain being a disciple. I want to know your truth so that I can truly be set free today. As we start to sing, you're going to be dismissed by our ladies, 
and go back to the table, grab those elements, come back. Whether you want to sing along, praise God, you want to fall on your knees, whatever the Spirit of God is leading you to do, you do. Because our God is so good and so worthy of our worship this morning. Amen? Amen.